I'm excited about tonight to dig into Ephesians chapter 2, a message that I've entitled From Separation to Reconciliation. One of the reasons I'm looking forward to us looking at this text together is because we've seen some, some racial tension even this week in our, in our country. And this is one text that we see that just totally addresses the issue of racism. It addresses the issue of hostility between two different races, and it tears the gospel, tears the walls of racism, pride, and prejudice down, and creates peace and harmony among people. And so that's what we're going to be focusing in on tonight. This is also a text that explains the nature of the church very well. Paul uses some great imagery for us to understand the new creation of the church, the beautiful position that we have before God and, and, and diversity that God brings together from every tribe and every tongue, making his own people. So I'm going to pray and we're going to dig into the text. Father, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for every person that's here and, and that we are here before you with your word ready to hear from you. And so would you speak to us? Would your word sink deep into our hearts and our minds and change the way we view one another, the way we view ourselves, the way uh, we view our community, and give us your perspective. And may we love like you love. May we treat others like you've treated us, namely with grace and with mercy. And I ask that you would help me to handle your word well, to edify your people, to encourage your people, and bring glory to your name. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, I will have it up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2. Big idea is simply this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ tears down walls that separate mankind from God and from one another. And it brings reconciliation and peace in the place of hostility. So that's where we're going in the text. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints with the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, 
Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. What a powerful text on the church, on ecclesiology, on on what the church is now in Christ Jesus. Specifically, Paul is addressing Gentile Christians, the Ephesians, the Ephesian church, who is mainly Gentile Christians. I'm sure there were were Jews there as well. Uh, Paul was uh, addressing the Gentile Christians. Paul was, many of you know that his focus was to reaching the Gentiles. And when he would go into a city, he would start first and preach in synagogues. He would go to the Jewish people, and then he would go bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And Jesus called him to do that. The situation between Jews and the Gentiles was one of hostility for many years. God had chosen the people of Israel. He delivered them out of slavery, out of bondage, and was bringing them into a promised land. And he, and he made a covenant with them. They had a covenant with God. They had a relationship with God. And he gave them commandments. And he, and he told them how to live. And that involved moral commands. That involved ceremonial commands. That involved dietary commands. And, and ways that they were to live different from the Gentiles. And they were not to worship the other gods of the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles, the nations had all kinds of other gods and were were steeped in idolatry and immorality. And yet, God chose Israel to be a blessing to the nations. Uh, From the very beginning of the, the, the Jewish people, from Abraham, God says, I will bless you to Abraham. You will be a blessing. And through your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so God had called the Israelites to be a blessing to the nations. In Isaiah, we're told that they were to be a light to the Gentiles. And so God called the Israelites to live this distinct, godly life, living holy, following holy commands from God. And yet they were to be a light. They were to be a witness. They were to reach out to the Gentiles, to to shine the light and be a blessing to the Gentiles. And so there was this probably tension with many Jewish people, and many of us can relate to it, that we ourselves want to live a godly life, right? We want to live separate holy lives, yet we want to engage people who are living ungodly lives and reach them with the gospel. We want to be missional, right? And so there's this tension there that the Jewish people despised and looked down upon Gentiles who were practicing evil practices, immorality, and worshiping other gods, And then what we see in the New Testament is we see God start saving Gentiles. Gentiles start coming to faith and turning from their idols and turning to the one true living God. And so then you got these Jewish people who who have the Torah, who have the law and the prophets, and they have this history with God. And then we got these pagan Gentiles who are being saved and becoming Christians and then they got to learn to live together as one church, as one body. And so Paul's addressing them and he's telling them, remember, by the way, this is in, in the first three chapters, this is one of, the, one of the few or only imperatives. Remember, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh 
called circumcision. You were called uncircumcised by the circumcision. Remember that you were separated from Christ. So, so here's the thing. The former status of the Gentiles was marked by this separation. They were separated from Christ. They didn't have the promise of Messiah like the Jews did. The Jews were promised a, a Messiah who would come and would save them and would deliver them. The Gentiles didn't have that. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were, they were strangers to the covenant of promise. And they had no hope without God in the world. It's a very bleak picture that we see here. The Jewish people had a temple, and in the temple there was this separation between the Gentiles and where the Jewish people can go. And actually there's, there was an inscription on there that basically said that the, if you go past, as a Gentile, you go past this point, death could be your punishment. Something along those lines. So there was this warning that no Gentiles allowed. And so a part of the, the, the temple was the, the court of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles could go. Uh, we're told in, in Acts 21, the Apostle Paul was, was accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple, in, into a place he shouldn't have brought him. And so he got like arrested for it. He got in trouble for it. And so, so there's, this, there's this dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. There's this hostility. There's this animosity between Jew and Gentile. And yet... Christ is saving both Jews and Gentiles and making them one. One family, one body. And then they've got to learn to love one another. They've got to learn to live life together. Look at verse 13. Well, actually, actually before I go there, uh, just, just here's the list here. So the former status of the Ephesian Christians, they were separated. They were alienated. From, they were strangers. They were without hope. They were without God. Now, even in the Old Testament, we're... We're told, God told the Israelites to love the strangers, to love the aliens. When, when they would come, and, and God even says to like leave corners of the field, leave some food for them so that they can partake of them, consider them. And, and he says, remember that you were once like that. And God delivered you, Israelites, out of Egypt. And so the Israelites were told to love the alien, love the, love the strange, strangers. Yet live, be separate, be holy, live a holy life as well. And so there was this animosity between the two. And the Gentiles were without hope, without God. They were strangers. They were like refugees, if you will. Okay, right now we have an influx of refugees. We have the nations that have come here. This, in, in the city of Dallas, we, in, in Garland, in Richardson, we, get, we have so many internationals. And we have so much opportunity to reach across ethnic barriers and show the love of Christ. And that's exactly what the gospel does. The gospel tears down walls of division, walls of separation. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, this, is, this issue of racism and hostility between races is not just an American thing. You know, we've had in America, and we see just this week, you know, it's, it's becoming, it, it's, the, the spotlight's on it right now with the Black Lives Matter movement, with the police shootings, the, the, the man Keith uh, who was killed in, in, in Charlotte this week and, and the other guy who was killed in, uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, and so there's, there's this tension, there's this injustice, if you will, as, you know, where, where African-American men are being shot by police officers and the gospel addresses it. The gospel is our hope 
to tear down that hostility. The Gospel is our hope to deal with racism in the, in the human heart so that we can love one another and not judge one another based on our skin color, based on our socioeconomic status, based on our ethnicity. So the Gospel deals with that. So look at verse 13 now. It says that, here's where it changes for us uh, and for the, for the Ephesian Christians. The, the words, but now in Christ. Uh, as we saw last week, Chad Bradley did an excellent job in preaching on the first part of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And in verse 4, there's that, but God. I love those places in Scripture, but God. Romans six twenty three. there's a but, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Well, here's one of those buts. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were alienated, you were separated, you were disconnected from the blessings of God, the promises of God, the covenants of God. But now you've been brought near by Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who's made us both one, who's broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Gospel is the Gospel of Peace. And now the new status of the Christians, the Ephesian Christians, and, and those of us who believe as well, us, I think most of us are Gentiles in here, right? Okay? Is one of peace, one of reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God. Okay, that's where it starts first. If we're going to have reconciliation... Uh, horizontally, we need reconciliation vertically first. Okay? So reconciliation with God, and then reconciliation with one another. Peace with God. Peace with one another. God breaks down the walls through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So animosity and hostility no longer have to separate the people of God. Yet, it's still an issue today. You know, Sunday morning is, is a is a very segregated time of the week. Diversity in churches isn't as common as, as I, I, I believe that God would desire it to be. And it's our vision here at City Church to be a diverse church. We delight in diversity. We embrace diversity. We, we pray for and intentionally seek diversity within our church. We want to be an international church. We want to reflect the beauty of the diversity of heaven here on earth. Because in heaven, there's every tribe and every tongue around the throne worshiping God. Amen? And so we want to reflect that. And yet, it's, it's challenging. It's, it's, it, it requires us to have a heart change. To reach across barriers that divide. And the gospel is the solution for that. So the new status of the Ephesian Christians was marked by reconciliation. Christ reconciles us to Himself. I think each of us can think back to a moment, think back to a time where you were once an outsider, where you were once some, somebody who wasn't on the in crowd, or maybe you just have to go back to grade school. Okay, Maybe you weren't a part of the, the athletic club, or you weren't a part of the, the cool crowd, or, or whatever. I'm sure each of us can think to a moment of when we felt like we were the outsider, we were 
the alien, if you will, or the stranger, if you will. And it, it's, it feels painful. It feels unpleasant. It's difficult. But now in Christ, we belong. We have a place at the table of God. We have a place in the family of God. We have a new status with God. And we don't have to live with this inferiority complex, this woe is me kind of attitude, because we have great privileges in Christ. So here's just a short list. They were brought near by the blood of Christ. They had peace with God and with one another. The Jew and the Gentile were made one. One body, one church. They were reconciled to God. So reconciliation marks is a status, is a mark of the new status that the Ephesian Christians have. And it should be a mark of our life. We should be ministers of reconciliation. We who have been reconciled to God should help others be reconciled to God as well. And we should, we should be peacemakers instead of troublemakers in relationships, right? We should help folks find peace with God and we should bring peace to relationships, to our communities, to our neighbors, to our workplaces. We should share the gospel of peace. Remember, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we should bring that into our realms of influence. So they were brought near by the blood of Christ. They found peace with God and with one another. The, the other thing is that the new status of the Ephesian Christian came with great privileges. So verse 17 says that Jesus, he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. And through him, we both have access in one spirit to God. This is awesome. The Gentiles now have access to the Father. Remember, the Gentiles couldn't go past a certain point in the temple. Okay, They didn't have access to go into a more intimate place in the temple. And then even just the average Jew couldn't go to certain, a certain place, the Holy of Holies. Uh, that was a place that only a priest, the high priest, and once a year could go to that holiest place. And now you and I have access to the holiest place. Hebrews 4, 16 says like this, that, that we have boldness to come before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We have access to the Father. And Jesus Christ is our high priest. Jesus Christ is our mediator. We can go to God. And as I've said before, imagine if, if, you've had, if you had this access or relationship with the most powerful person in the world, the most loving, the most wise, the most kind, the wealthiest person in the world. If you had access to that person, you could go to them anytime. If you needed wise counsel, you can go there. If you needed to be comforted and encouraged, you could go there because you know they're for you. If you needed help financially, you could go there because they will provide for you. If you had access to the greatest person in the universe or this world, you would utilize that, right? You and I now have access to God. Jew and Gentile both have access to God. There's no gold membership in the family of God, no platinum gold membership and different levels of uh, status in the family of God. We all have this privileged place, Jew or Gentile, we have access to the Father. So that new status is marked by privilege. And we're, we have those privileges, saints. We've been, as we've already said, 
in Ephesians chapter 1. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. God has blessed us. He's given us everything that we need in Christ Jesus. Verse 19, he goes on, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. You have your citizenship, saints. Now, in Paul's day, to be a Roman citizen was a pretty big, pretty big deal. It came with benefits. It came with privileges. It came with being protected by Rome. You know, at one time when Paul was arrested, you know, he says, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Roman citizen. And then the soldiers were like, whoa. You know, they, they, were kind of, they kind of backed up a little bit because they realized this guy's a Roman citizen. Because there were, there were rules that protected Roman citizens. There were privileges that Roman citizens have. Those in America who are citizens have privileges. There's blessings. Many folks from other countries really value the privileges and the citizenship that, that you and I enjoy and take for granted. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. When you come from a country that has few privileges for the average person to a place where there's, there's opportunity and blessing, and, and we're certainly not perfect. We've got our, a lot of issues. I was talking with a uh, friend this week who moved over here from Mexico with his family when he was, when he was a boy. And they were illegal immigrants. And they got, his parents got deported, and him and his sister got left behind. And so he was stuck in a hard place. And he grew up. He went from place to place and yeah, started getting in trouble. Um, this young man ended up coming to the Lord started doing Christian rap, and he, his name's Juan Torres, and he wrote a book on, it's called Left in America, and he shares his story about this painful journey that he went through where he was separated from his parents. Graduated high school, graduated community college at El Centro here downtown Dallas, and, um, and he's had these obstacles of not having the, the typical privileges that, that you and I who are citizens have. Like being able to work legally, you know, having a job legally, or to be able to travel across the border to and fro or to other countries and, and so on. The list goes on. But we have a citizenship that's much better than American citizenship. I mean, we're, we're blessed to have an American citizenship, those of us who are citizens, right? But there's a citizenship that's, that far exceeds the privilege of being an American citizen. It's, it's being a citizen of the kingdom of God, belonging to another country, another place that's eternal, another kingdom that will never be shaken. We have, saints, our citizenship in heaven with God. We have great promises and privileges that come along with that. And so that's who we are, church. We are fellow citizens with the saints. The Ephesian Gentile Christians were fellow citizens with the Jewish Christians and all the privileges were theirs, whether they were Jew or whether they were Gentile. The next thing is, which I think is even more intimate, is members of the household of God. Not only are we citizens, saints, we are members of the household of God. We belong to to the family of God. Sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. We belong to God's house, God's family. He's our Father. 
And in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul prays. He starts off his prayer saying, praying to the Father from whom every family in heaven is named. And he goes on and he prays this prayer that the Ephesians would know the love of Christ. But this is even deeper. Being a member of the household, being, being a citizen is one thing, but being a, a member of the household, there's this intimate place that you and I have to come to the Father. My children have freedom to go to the, the refrigerator and get snacks because they're a part of the dollar family. They have privileges in our house and we have to you know, manage and limit those so that they don't just do that anytime and get anything they want from the refrigerator. But we have these great privileges in Christ Jesus. And we're part of this family of God. So I think this is important for us to remember that the church is a family. And I, I pray that we never lose a sense of a family here at City Church. That, that we don't ever get caught, so caught up into the, the, the doing church and, and becoming more like a business than a family. Because the church is a family. It's to be organic and to have a family feel and, and, and where we're loved and accepted. You belong. You belong in the family of God. And that meets a deep need that every person has. To, a need to belong. A, a desire to, to belong and be a part of something. A, a part of something important. A part of something great. A part of something that matters. You belong to the family of God. To the household of God. And your part matters. Your, your role, the role you play in the family of God matters. Another word that Paul uses is the body. That we're the body of Christ. Verse 16. In one body, that He might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross. We're the body of Christ. We're, we each have a part in the body of Christ. We bring our part and we function together. Another analogy that Paul uses is the analogy of a temple. Here's some of the, the new privileges that the Ephesian Christians have and that we have. Access to the Father, citizenship, members of the household of God, and then we're a holy temple. We're the temple of God. Now this is, Paul's using corporate language. I think maybe in Corinthians, you know, he may be referring to like you, you personally, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You're the temple of God. Here, I, I think he's using the language that, we're, that we together are the temple of God and God dwells amongst us. When you come to church, when you come to corporate worship, it, it matters. It's important. It's valuable to God because God shows up in a different way than if it's just you and Jesus having your quiet time. He speaks through the body and, and the different parts of the body bring their part and contribute to what God's doing. And so we're the temple of God. And lastly, in verse uh, 22, we are the, the dwelling place of God, the habitation of God. God shows up and He fills us and he, His presence shows up in our midst and He meets us here in this place. And so we should come each week when we come here, we should expect that. We should long for that. We should pray that we would be aware of His presence and that we would encounter His presence and be changed and that we would be refreshed and we would be influenced by God dwelling amongst us. We're the dwelling place of God. We're the habitation of God. We're the, a holy temple. I've got a picture of back there to Kephob for the access that we have. 
I have one of these for the CCI Dallas has a key fob system there. And all you have to do is put your fob on the, on the sensor there and it lets you in to the door. And so if you have a fob, you have access into that door. And you and I have access into the presence of God to the Father to come to the Father. And then yet we're, we, we're the dwelling place of where God's Spirit resides and He rests in us and among us. So how can we apply this? Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I can try to explain in this passage. There's some technical things that I could try to get into that I think are important to try to understand, like verse 15, when it talks about abolishing the law, that he made peace by abolishing the law of commandments. You know, I could go into trying to explain that because Jesus said, you know, he didn't come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill it, right? So there's, there's that little technical thing that needs to be addressed there. And one com- Actually, I'm going to just read this uh, from one commentator on that, that Jesus both abolished the regulations of the ceremonial law and the condemnation of the moral law. Both were divisive. Both were put aside by the cross. He did not abolish the law as a standard of behavior, the moral law, but he did abolish it as a way to salvation. So that's uh, John Stott on that. So that's just something to think about as as you come across little phrases like that. There's other things that I can try to dig in here too. But I want to apply this to us. I want us to look at just... Some, some basic application here. The first thing is to ask God to search you and expose any un- unhealthy barriers that you have with people. Ask Him to expose any unhealthy barriers that you have with people. Just for instance, so the, the refugees. How do, you, how do you feel about lots of refugees coming into this country, into your city, moving into your neighborhood? How do you feel about that? Does that bother you? Does that threaten you? Does that frighten you? How do you feel about that? The next thing is simply this. Allow the gospel to destroy pride, prejudice, racism, favoritism, or superiority in your heart. So the gospel deals with this. The gospel changes our hearts. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes our hearts. God fills us with his love through the gospel to to where racism and pride and prejudice and favoritism and superiority gets dealt with and and we live humbly and lovingly with one another where we're able to reach across the boundaries. And again, it's sad that amongst many churches that this still exists, that among uh, our nation, this this is a big issue. And this is a worldwide issue. This isn't just a, um, a black or white thing. Uh, in America, I mean, we've we've had this this issue going on for years here, but I mean, this is something that's that's been Germany, you know, the Holocaust. There's, let's see, there's a list, um, the Holocaust, the Armenian Armenian uh, genocide in 1915 in Turkey, the Soviet Gulag, Rwanda, the massacres in Rwanda to to like take out a whole people group, the Japanese slaughter of six million people uh, in the early 1900s, so on, ISIS and so on. So this issue of racism isn't just like a black or white thing here in America. This is, this is a global thing in the heart of sinful humanity that the gospel deals with. 
that the gospel of Jesus Christ deals with and, and, and God brings in people that are different to the body of Christ. And we should rejoice when, you know, our Middle Eastern former Muslim brother or sister becomes a Christian. And we should embrace them and love them. I would love to see this place filled with former Muslims, former Hindus, former Buddhists, or, or whatever, that, that we would embrace the diversity, the ethnic diversity that, that God sends our way. God wants to deal with our hearts so that these barriers don't separate the body, of, especially the body of Christ. Intentionality to reach across ethnic boundaries to welcome internationals and refugees. I went yesterday to the mix. Did anybody go to the mix yesterday with CCI Dallas and the Latinos uh, at the park? And I looked across at the mix and I just, I saw the beauty of diversity there. And I was so delighted. Pastor Brad has led well in helping us to be a international church. And, you know, it's, you can't, it's not something that you can just force or, or make happen. But I think that because of the diversity of our communities that we're in here and the Dallas campus is in, because of the diversity of this city, that, that we should reflect the community. We should reflect the city. I think it's healthy for a, di- a diverse community to have churches that reflect that diversity. And I think it's unhealthy that if your church is very, if your community is very diverse, if you don't have diversity there. And so the gospel creates that. And we pray for that. We embrace that. We delight in that. But let's intentionally cross those boundaries. I got the privilege. So there were, there was a, an Iran, uh, Iranian family there yesterday at the mix that Braden and Bethany Hosel had been reaching out to, and I got to chat with them a little bit. And then a, um, a guy from Iraq there yesterday, Muslims, at the mix yesterday, and we're just able to talk with them and mingle with them and, and love on them. And, and what, a, what a beautiful uh, expression of Christianity when we reach across these boundaries and when we have a church that's diverse and re- reflects the diversity of heaven. So another thing is learn some basics of another language, like Spanish, to communicate to outsiders. You know, we have a high population of Latinos in this city, and I believe it's an expression of love to, to learn some basics to communicate with Latinos in, in this city. Uh, I just started doing that this, this week myself, just polishing up. What I know, I'm trying to teach my kids Spanish, get, trying to get them learning Espanol so that we can communicate the gospel and the love of Christ to more people. Uh, I think this is a very practical way that you and I can reach across boundaries. By the way, there is the Episcopal Church that meets here on Sunday mornings is starting ESL classes uh, for the community. And there's, um, there's an Iraqi family who's been visiting to the Episcopal Church on Sunday morning. Actually, the Iraqi family that, that Kevin and I reached out to several months ago. We met them two days after they, they came over. But they're actually going to be going to these ESL classes. And so if you're interested in serving the refugee community, which there's a, there's a large number of them in the, in the area, ESL classes is, are considered one of the, the greatest ways that you can serve the refugee community. Because those that, that come from other countries, war-torn countries, as refugees, and, you know, the, the government pays a little bit, you know, for the first month or three months. 
for their rent, and then after that, they're on their own. So they have to learn English and get a job, hopefully. If anybody's interested in serving in that, they need help Tuesdays and Thursday nights right here if you want to participate in that. The other thing is to welcome welcome and be hospitable to the guests and newcomers that, that attend here at City Church. As folks, new folks walk in, let's make a beeline to them, if, especially if you haven't met them, and just be intentional to greet one another, to, to smile big and, and engage and ask questions and engage people. I think, I think that this is helpful in evangelism. Okay, if you want to be more evangelistic and outreaching, look people in the eyes and greet them. You know, Jesus expects his followers to, to be hospitable like that. He says, if you greet those who greet you and you only love those who love you, what reward do you have? So he, he impl- when he says that in Matthew 5, he implies that we should be greeting one another. We should be loving one another. And last thing is that remember how God has treated you with grace. He's treated you with grace, so we should reflect that to others. So there should be this love and grace that comes through our life that creates this harmony amongst diversity. We value that here at City Church. Unity in diversity. Unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, and all things charity. We want to unite around what we sing tonight. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We want to unite around those central truths to Christianity and be solid on those and, and leave room for our cultural diversity, our different flavors and preferences, and, and, and try to yield those to the Lord so that they don't cause a sense of division. I'd like to lead us in prayer and then we'll close in a song I want to pray that we would reflect the the diversity of the kingdom of God here on earth. That we would have harmony and unity. That God would add more folks to the church. From Islam, from Hinduism, from, you know, whatever, paganism. That they would come to Jesus and that we would see this place filled with folks that were formerly aliens, strangers outsiders, without God, without hope, because the gospel gives that. We've found that, and we want to share that with others. So if you would join me in prayer, and then we'll worship Jesus in closing with the song. God, we look to you, and we desire to see this manifested in our church and in our community. We desire to see these walls come down, these barriers that have been erected, these social barriers, God, that divide us by race, by socioeconomic status, that divide us by our education, and so on. And God, we pray that just those walls would come down, that we would love across the barriers, that the gospel would tear down these walls. God, that the issue of um, racism and injustice in our city and in our country, God, would be overcome through the power of the gospel. And I pray that it would start with the church. That you would do a work here, that we would be a reflection of heaven here. 
that we would be an example to other churches here of being united, being diverse yet united on central gospel truths. Lord, would you search our hearts? Would you reveal any wicked way in us where we don't value human lives like you do? Where we don't value others who've been made in your image like you do? Would you change our hearts? Would you have mercy on us? Would you have mercy on our nation? God, we need you. You're our only hope. And you've given us access. And I pray that City Church would be a church of prayer, that we would utilize the access that we've been given, and that we would storm the throne of grace boldly. That we would come before you much in prayer, pleading, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And it's your kingdom, God, that we long for. It's your will that we long for. So have your way.